Capital City first. It is so, so good that you are here. I am very, very glad that you're here. And whether you join us on person or online right now, I do believe God has a special word for each and every one of us today. So lean in, take notes, and I believe that he is going to be speaking to our hearts. But before we jump into it, Today is a very special day. In fact, this weekend is a big weekend, and here's the reason why. It is our City First Cape Coral's fifth birthday this weekend. Fifth birthday, fifth anniversary. That's pretty amazing, huh? So come on to everybody at Cape Coral. Let's say happy birthday. Put your hands together. We love you very much. Thank you, Cape Coral, for joining us, being a part of us. These last five years have been amazing. And I just want you to know, on behalf of all of your City First Church family, we would not be the same without you, Cape Coral. So we love you, we celebrate you, and happy, happy birthday. Come on, one more time, share happy birthday with them. Some joy. Yep. All right, well, listen, it's uh, almost April, which is so crazy. It's, uh, I mean, 2022 is just flying by. It's almost April. And what that means is that means for most of us, that, uh, you know, are in school, it's only a few more weeks, and all of a sudden, it's summer break, right? I mean, right? Got about another month ago or so. Uh, for those of you that are in the Midwest, like I am, we're in the Midwest here, but for those of you that are in the Midwest, you know, it means that the weather is starting to get a little bit warmer. And then for those of you down in Florida, it means this, that the snowbirds are going home, and the streets will become safe once again. Did I say that? Did I say that? Yeah. Anyway, so I just I just want to just say, uh, you know, summer is just around the corner, and for many of us, it means that we're going to be able to get some sort of a small break, maybe. Maybe it's a, a long weekend or a vacation somewhere, a little bit of a breather. Many times, many people take vacations during the summer, and there are two types of people when it comes to vacations. It is the first type is the kind that use a countdown clock that counts down the time until vacation, and then the other types are the ones that don't. And I remember many uh, months ago, years ago, actually, it was actually years ago, I actually was walking past um, a desk of one of our staff people here at the Spring Creek location, and I looked at their laptop, and their laptop had this countdown clock, and it said something like 103 days, 18 hours, 32 minutes, and then the seconds are counting down. And I looked, and I go, what is that? And they're like, that is how long until I get to go on vacation. And I thought to myself, I thought, wow, that's super specific, you know? And, and I don't do that. And here's the reason why, and I don't know if any of you resonate with me on this, but if I do a countdown clock, it makes the time go twice as long, right? I mean, if there's a countdown clock and I'm always looking at it, it's like it takes forever to come to the end. It's like... The old adage that a watch pot never boils, you know what I mean? And a countdown clock, it means the time is dragging on and on and on. Oh, I see. The production team's got jokes. Production team's got jokes. But you know what? It's really true. I mean, like, if we were doing a countdown clock, I mean, it just seems like it takes so much more time. And I heard a story recently um, about the Navy SEALs. 
And uh, for those of you that are maybe not familiar with the Navy SEALs, uh, these are an elite small unit team of the, of the United States military, a division of the Navy. And uh, it is their job, they're special ops soldiers, it's their job many times to capture or eliminate high-level enemy targets. These guys are bad to the bone. I mean, literally. They are, like, highly trained. But to become one of these special ops uh, soldiers, you have to actually go through the first step of applying, you could say, or qualifying, and that is to go through Hell Week. All right, now, for those of you who are like, well, what's Hell Week? Well, it's exactly that. It's like, literally, it's a, a hellish week. Uh, what they do is they make you um, go through all of this physical, like, exercising. You're having to carry things, crawl underneath, live fire. You're having to, like, spend most of your week in water. You know, many times it's not, it's not like your pool that has, like, 85-degree water. It's, like, freezing water. Uh, you're crawling. You're carrying stuff. You're getting very little sleep. You're eating very little. And the whole time the instructors are yelling at you and telling you to quit. And what they're really doing is the whole week is designed to break you down mentally, physically, and emotionally because they want to find out who's really got what it takes to do these special missions. And uh, out of most applicants that try to become Navy SEALs, um, most of them, in fact, two-thirds, over two-thirds of them don't even make it through Hell Week. And this is only the first, by the way, test of becoming a Navy SEAL. But 75% or more don't even make it through Hell Week. And uh, one of the people that did, that later on became a Navy SEAL, was asked, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between those who make it through Hell Week versus those who quit and don't make it through Hell Week because it's too hard? And this Navy SEAL said, oh, that's, that's interesting. Um, that's an interesting question. But this is what we saw. The people that quit kept on wishing the week was over and they were counting down the days and the hours and the minutes until it was over. They had an internal countdown clock. Those were the ones that quit. But the ones that made it, they did something else. They just tried to make it to breakfast. Literally. He said, he goes, they just tried to make it to breakfast. They weren't thinking about how many days they had left. They weren't thinking about how much more of, of the uncomfortable, uh, you know, the, the situation, how many days it was going to be until they were finally able to go back to their barracks and have a comfy bed and all that. No, 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 no. Instead, they said, we just tried to make it to breakfast. Our goal was to make it to morning. Just make it to morning. And I heard that and I thought, there's a life lesson in there. And today I want to talk to you about just make it to breakfast. I want to talk to you about just, just if you're in a hellish week right now, a hellish month, a hellish year, a hellish decade, I don't know. If you're, in a, if you're in a terrible time right now, what will make it longer is for you to keep on wishing that you were out of it and wishing that life was back to whatever it was before. Instead, I want to encourage you, just make it to breakfast. We're concluding this series called The Battle Within, and and we're talking about the battlefield of the mind and that many times there is a battle that goes on in our minds to keep our thinking uh, correct and such. And so we've been talking about, you know, about how we should think about our thinking this, this month. And I want to speak to you today about how not to quit. 
That's what I want to talk to you about, how not to quit. And the key is, just make it to breakfast. You go, okay, what does that mean? Well, I know this. Before you ever quit your dream, you've already quit it up here. And if you've ever, you know, before you ever quit your marriage, you've already quit it up here. You ever, you know, quit your bad or good habits, excuse me, not a bad habit, you hopefully quit good, bad habits, but if you quit a good habit, you've already quit it up here. Quitting happens here before it ever happens out here. So it is a battle in your mind not to quit. And there are good types of quitting and bad types of quitting. Some good types of quitting are, you know what, I want to try to quit smoking in 2022, or maybe I want to quit eating poorly, or I want to quit being prideful, or I want to quit this toxic relationship I'm in. Those are, those are good types of quitting. That's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the bad types of quitting. What's the bad type? You give up. You give up. You give up and you just say, I'm tired, I'm depressed, I'm frustrated, I, I feel like a failure, whatever. And, and so here's the problem with quitting, all right, the bad type of quitting. The problem is this, it can become a habit. It can become a habit. And when you commit to something and you continuously rationalize and give your way, yourself a way out of the commitment. You do that over and over again, and it can become a habit in life. And you should not have a habit of quitting. In fact, Jesus said it this way in the book of Matthew. He said, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. In other words, what you commit to, stick to it. If anything, develop a habit of stick all right? So, here's the thing. I'm going to give you some reasons why it's important not to quit. Number one is this. Not quitting gives you credibility with others and yourself. See, a lot of times we think of credibility with others, but you need credibility with yourself. I mean, if you know on the inside that you keep on quitting, pretty soon you'll lose credibility with yourself. And that will impact the way, you, the, the way you work, the way that you live, the way you see your future. So it's so important because not quitting gives you credibility. Number two is this, not quitting creates momentum for success in your life. That by not quitting, you actually can build momentum. Stopping and starting, stopping and starting does not build momentum. It'd be like this. If we were to get in a car right here at this location and we were to drive to the Cape Coral location, but every 100 yards we'd shut the car off. Well, that's not going to get you there. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be stop, start, stop, start, and there's not going to be any momentum that's built. You're not going to get to the destination that you want in your life. So, so you know what? Not quitting builds momentum. Not quitting, number three, helps you understand that you can do hard things. And this is something I want to I shout from the mountaintops of City First to our culture that over the last two years, we have been conditioned, honestly, I don't even know what it's come from, but been conditioned that we think it's okay to just kind of quit. Commitment levels are at an all-time low, right? Ask any employer. <laughs> and so here's the thing. It's like people just don't want to follow through when things get tough. And I want to say this from the mountaintops. You can do hard things. Do you understand that? Harder than what you think. Like you think your threshold is here, but it is actually here that there is a stretching 
that happens inside of you and you build a resilience when you do not continuously quit. Number four, not quitting helps you learn to pray and to think and evaluate before committing to things. I mean, you sit there and go, oh, yeah, I never thought of that. Well, here, here's the reason why. All you got to do is commit to something and then later on go, oh, man, why did I do that? But following through on that commitment will teach you to evaluate better the next time you're given an opportunity. There was one point in my life, and this was many years ago, five, six years ago or so, um, I sat on 14 church and ministry boards, 14, not including the one that is City First board, okay? So 14. And I remember, like, people would come up and be like, hey, I want you on, your, on our board and all that. And I love these ministries. I love these pastors. I'm like, yes, I'll do it. Well, you know what? I overcommitted. And I found myself, all I was doing is sitting in board meetings, like, all the time. It's like, oh, my gosh, this week I got another board meeting for XYZ ministry or church or whatever. And so I told my board, the board here that keeps me accountable, I said this. I said, hey, listen. I'm going to start phasing out of these. As my term expires, I'm not going to re-up. And so over years, I got out of them because this is what I realized. I realized that no yes is an innocent yes. Do you understand that? When you say yes to something, it requires commitment. Well, now guess what? I pray a lot more when these kind of opportunities come, right? So that's why not quitting helps you to evaluate better in your future. Number five, quitters never win. Quitters never win. And I know some of you might be like, well, you know what? Jesus says we're supposed to be a servant. It's not about winning. No, this is the thing. What I mean by win is that your marriage needs to win. Your career needs to win. Your health needs to win. Your spiritual walk with God needs to win. Your life needs to win. So guess what? If you quit, you never win. You never win. Those important areas. So again, we need to have a habit of stick to And many times we quit, really, if we're just going to kind of bottom line it here, we quit because of setbacks, hardships, or failures. But you know what? Napoleon Hill, who... Um, was kind of a, a leadership guy back in the day. He said this, he goes, most great people have attained their great, greatest success just one step beyond their greatest setback and failure. You hear that? So just because you fail doesn't mean you quit. In fact, I'd even say it this way. The only way you really do fail is quit. You may have a setback, but it's just a setback. In fact, we used to say this in the youth ministry all the time. We used to say, quick down, quick up. In other words, if you ran track in high school and you fell, you know, coming around the curve or whatever, or doing hurdles or whatever, and you fell, imagine if you just fell and you just stay, stayed on the ground and they're like, uh, what would your coach do? Your coach is like, get on your feet right now and finish the race. You only fail if you stay down, Right? I want to tell you a story about failure and how it caused somebody to quit. It's out of the Bible, and it's uh, actually revolving around a holiday we're about ready to celebrate here in a few weeks called Easter. And um, Easter Sunday is when we celebrate that Jesus came back to life, and he rose from the dead, and the tomb was empty. But before Easter Sunday, there was Good Friday. And I say this every year, it wasn't so good for those involved. 
it was good for us because we know now what happened. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. But, you know, Good Friday was full of a lot of pain and confusion. Most importantly, it was full of a lot of pain for Jesus and a lot of confusion for his followers. But before he was crucified, there was the Last Supper. And after the Last Supper, the disciples and Jesus go to the garden And then he is arrested, Jesus is arrested, and now he's being taken uh, to the Jewish high leaders. He's actually going to Caiaphas' house, he was the high priest. And and, and he's he's being taken into this courtyard of this house. And at that moment, all the disciples fled for their lives and hid, except for two of them, Peter and John. Peter and John decide that they're going to follow Jesus to this courtyard And as he's being arrested and he's bound up and such like that, they're following from a distance. They get to the courtyard. Once they get to the courtyard, John evidently had a little bit more boldness, and he decides he's going to walk into the courtyard and be where Jesus is at. But Peter, Peter was a little scared. And Peter stopped at the entrance to the courtyard. Now, there was a little servant girl, the Bible says, that her job was to stand at the entrance to the courtyard and to greet people. And we kind of get the idea that she's a grade schooler. Like, literally, we don't, we don't get this idea that she's a young adult or an adult. She's very, very young. And she looks at Peter, and she goes, hey, wait a minute. Aren't you that guy that has been following this Jesus for the last three years? And Peter's standing there, and again, he, he, he's kind of in a spineless moment, and he, he lies. And he goes, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know this guy. Well, then he makes his way over to this fire, and the Bible says he's standing at this fire because it was cold out that night, and he's standing by this fire trying to warm himself with some other servants and some soldiers, and one of them asks, hey, wait a minute, aren't you a disciple of this Jesus? And Peter goes, oh, no, 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 again, lies, no, 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 I I don't know who this guy is. And then Peter makes his way away from that fire, and the Bible says that there was this other person, this guy that comes up to him and says, wait a minute. Didn't I see you in the garden when we were arresting Jesus? And at that moment, Peter, for the third time, goes, No, no, I I wasn't there. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know this Jesus. The rooster crows, which, by the way, is a fulfillment of prophecy. I don't have time to get into that. But at that moment, the Bible says that Jesus, who must have been in close enough proximity where Peter and Jesus could see each other, Jesus looks directly at Peter, their eyes lock, Jesus just looks at him. And at that moment, Peter begins to weep, and he runs out of the courtyard away and hides because he realized that he has followed Jesus for three years and just denied him once for every year that he was a disciple. And so Peter is a complete failure at this moment. He had watched Jesus do miracles. I mean, lots of them. Do you know... You know the miracles that are mentioned in the Gospels aren't all the miracles that Jesus did. And the parables that are mentioned aren't all the parables. In fact, even in one of the Gospels it says there is so much more that literally all the volumes, or in other words, books of the world could not hold all of the teachings, the miracles, and the things that Jesus did. We only see this much of those three years that Jesus was in ministry doing these things. And Peter was there every step of the way. He'd spent hundreds of hours with Jesus around campfires or sitting at tables or listening to parables. And now Peter is so spineless, he can't even acknowledge that he knows Jesus. Can I tell you something? Nothing will make you quit like failure and disappointment. 
Nothing will. Fast forward to Easter now. Jesus raises from the dead. The tomb is empty. The women show up early on Sunday morning. The tomb is empty. And the Bible says this is this interaction between the women and an angel. And it is found in the book of Mark chapter 16. It says this, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He isn't here. Now, I'm not going to steal too much thunder. In about three weeks, we're going to talk about this, all right? But I I want you to hear this for a moment. The angel says, he is risen from the dead. Now go tell his disciples, what are those words? Including who? Peter. Is that interesting? That here the angel says, hey, listen, Jesus has come back to life. Tell all the other disciples, but make sure you tell Peter. Hmm. Why? Because Peter is at his greatest moment in his life of failure and disappointment, mostly in himself. There's a lot of confusion. And isn't it interesting that the angel of heaven specifically says, tell Peter. That night on uh, Easter Sunday night, the disciples are in a home with some other followers of Jesus, and they're having dinner. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And they think he's a ghost. In fact, they're shocked. They're like, wait. And, and so, because they maybe were thinking the body was stolen or something like that. They don't know where Jesus was at. Well, now he's there. He's standing in front. And there are the disciples looking at Jesus, including Peter. Now, don't you think Peter would be absolutely ecstatic in this moment? Don't you think Peter would be like, like, yes. Instead, and I don't know this, this is in the Bible, but by later on, some of his actions, I think this would be true. Instead, Jesus, uh, Jesus comes in the room and probably Peter's sitting in the corner and he's probably not making eye contact. We have a little guy, Paxton, who's 10 years old and uh, he has Down syndrome. Most of you know that, but for those of you who are new, uh, you may not. And, uh, and you know what? Even though, you know, he, he has special needs, um, I want to tell you something. He has a little rebellious streak inside him. And I'm like, he gets this from his mom. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but this week, his mom, Jen, was out uh, traveling and, and, uh, and, and such uh, on a trip for her, for her uh, degree, uh, her master's degree. And, and, uh, and, and so I was home with Pax. And uh, Pax started to get a little sneaky. Like, he knows he's not supposed to go get the iPad. He wants to watch the iPad. So we hide the iPad. But then he finds the iPad. So, so anyway, he gets the iPad. And all of a sudden, I see him in the corner. And he's, in the, he's with the iPad. He's trying to, you know, punch in the numbers for the code. And it's locking the iPad up for eternity. You know what I'm saying? And, and I looked at him. And I go, I go, Pax, what are you doing? And all of a sudden, he was caught. And for the next two hours, no joke. For the next two hours, even though I did not have a tone of, of like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't making him pay for it or anything like that, I'd come in and be like, hey, listen, do you want some lunch? And he wouldn't look at me. <laughs> Why? Shame. Failure, right? The stuff that Peter, I, I, I think Peter was there. Peter's just like, he's probably not even looking at Jesus. He, he may be kind of like, hey, it's good, and he's confused, but Then, after that moment, after that dinner, radio silence for the next eight days. Jesus does not see the disciples that we know of at least, doesn't talk to the disciples. He just disappears for eight days. And then he appears again, and this time Thomas 
is a part of the meeting with the disciples because he wasn't there at the first meeting, at the first dinner. So that's why we call him Doubting Thomas because he was like, I don't believe it until I see it. Well, anyway, Jesus shows up. And we, again, wouldn't you think Peter is like, this is phenomenal? You know, but he doesn't think that way. Instead, this is what Peter says, all right? And it is found in John chapter 1. Peter looks at the other disciples and says this, I'm going fishing. Now, some of you are like, what's wrong with going fishing? I, you know, nothing's wrong with going fishing, but you got to know the backstory of this. Three years prior, like before Peter had met Jesus, he was a professional fisherman. He would go out and catch fish, and they'd bring it into market, sell the fish. That's how he made a living. But he had given up his old life to follow Jesus. And in fact, Jesus said, I'll make you a fisher of men. And it says that Peter and the rest of them dropped their nets. And for the last three years, he hasn't fished. Instead, he's been following Jesus. He's been a disciple. So what now is going on? He's like, man, I'm, I'm going back to my old life. Nothing will make you want to go back to your old life like failure. Right? You failed. You gave this Christianity thing a shot. You kept going to church. You kept thinking, you know what? I, I'm worshiping God. I sense God. He's forgiven me. I had these great moments. And all of a sudden, failure. And you're like, I'm going back. Peter had to be fighting some powerful battles in his head. And I'm going to specify some of them today because I think we do the same thing. It's not just Peter. It's us. First battle is this. Jesus will probably not take me back. Right? I mean, isn't that what we think after we fail or we have a setback or something like that? And we're like, well, God's mad. He's going to strike me with lightning. I mean, we start thinking about that. And, and what we do is we, we take on this idea of a God who's angry that floats around on a cloud. He has a big, long, white beard. And he has a, a long, bony finger that points at us and zap. And all of a sudden, we're toast. You know, that's how we kind of see him when we fail. And we think we're not worthy. We think that God's angry, and so we're like, we're out. That had to be a mind game that Peter was battling. Here's another one. Jesus doesn't care about me. You ever felt that one before? Like you go through hardship and confusion. Again, remember this. Jesus dies. This shatters the perception of all the disciples, including Peter, because they never forecasted that he was actually going to die. Well, then he comes back to life. And then he disappears for eight days, and then he comes back to another dinner, and then he disappears again, and like, there's no communication here. What happens when God is silent is many times we think God doesn't care about us. And in the same way, I think Peter was thinking to himself, does Jesus really even care? I mean, when he, give us some instruction here. What are we supposed to do? Are, are we going to go travel around again and and watch you heal people? Are you going to give more parables? What's the plan, Jesus? And instead, he comes up and he shows up and he eats and he leaves. That's all he does. And Peter's going, what am I supposed to do with my life? And so you know what Peter goes? He goes, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go fishing. I guarantee you, all of us have felt this before. God, would you speak to me? Would you say something? Will you please say something? Because I need to know what's going on right now. Peter had to feel that. Third battle is this. He probably was thinking, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Out of all the disciples, the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter goes, I'm the one that betrayed him the most. I'm the one that denied him three times. And earlier, 
earlier, before that moment, Peter had looked at Jesus and said, I will never betray you. I'll never deny you. I will die for you. Literally, that's what he said. And guess what? The first moment comes of a little servant girl denies. The next guy by the fire denies. The next guy comes up, denies three times. And so he's probably thinking to himself, I can't do this. I can't do this. I might as well just go back to my old life. I can't do this Jesus life because I've already failed. And isn't that the temptation when we battle the mind games that we are not good enough and we just decide to go back to the old life, the old habits, the new life, we decide to quit that and we go back to what is familiar. Well, it goes on to say in John chapter 21 here, um, it's interesting, so Peter and a few other disciples went with him, actually, and they went out in the boat, and they caught nothing all night. So literally, he gets in the boat for the first time in forever, and they fish throughout the night, and they don't catch a fish. And isn't that the way it is when we go crawling back into our old life? We go crawling back into our life, it's empty. It's empty. Isn't that our story, too? I mean, we go, back to the, we go back to whatever it was that was the addiction or the vice or the thing that we thought would make us happy or the hookup culture or the Friday nights or what. We go back to all that, and guess what? It is just as empty as it was before, right? Isn't that true? So here, the, the nets are empty, and then it says in verse 4, it says, when the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach. Okay, third time now that Jesus appears. He's standing on the beach, but they, meaning Peter and everybody in the boat, didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to them, good morning. Did you catch anything for breakfast? They answered, no. Right? I mean, he's standing there. He's at least 100 yards off. And so Jesus says, throw the net off the right side of the boat and see what happens. Okay. You're talking to professional fishermen here. They've been throwing the net off the right, off the left, off the front, and off the back all night. They've been rowing to every corner of the lake. They can't find fish. And all of a sudden, some guy on the, on, on like the shore is going, why don't you throw the net off the right side? I guarantee you, Peter was cussing right now. He's like, you little, you know what I mean, right? I guarantee you. He's like, who are you, right? But guess what happened? It says this. It says they did what he said. And all of a sudden, there were so many fish in it that they weren't strong enough to pull it in. When Simon Peter realized that it was the master, meaning Jesus, he threw on some clothes. Because again, by this point, the sun's coming up. He's getting hot. He threw on his cloak. He threw on everything. And it says this, that he dove into the sea. He put his clothes on to dive in. Okay? It says the other disciples came in by boat for they weren't far from land, a hundred yards or so, pulling along the net full of fish. They couldn't even get the net in the boat, so they just drug it into shore. Then they got out of the boat and they saw a fire laid with fish and bread cooking on it. There's a fire there and there's fish and bread. And it says, Jesus said, bring some of the fish you just caught. Simon Peter joined them and pulled up the net to shore, 153 big fish. And even with all those fish, the net didn't rip. And Jesus said, breakfast is ready. This is the God that cooks breakfast? You know, this is the only time in the Bible that it ever mentions Jesus preparing a meal. 
And who does he prepare it for? The one that betrayed him. I mean, I want you to think about that. What does that speak of the God we serve? You might not think it's a big deal, but can I tell you, in Roman and Greek uh, religion of the day, the gods were not nice. The gods were ruthless. They were full of wrath. They tolerated the humans according to that religion of the Greek and the Roman religions. And in fact, if you didn't do exactly what your gods told you to do, they believed the gods would strike you dead. And here's a God that cooks breakfast. Cooking breakfast for the one that failed. I want you to remember that the next time you fail. I want you to remember the God that doesn't point a bony finger in your face and strike you with lightning, but rather the God that says, I'm now pursuing you in the middle of your failure, and I'm going to bring you nourishment. I'm going to cook you breakfast. See, before the crucifixion, Peter was distant from Jesus. He stood a ways away. Now, all of a sudden, Peter is putting on his clothes, diving in the sea, and coming right up to Jesus. Why? Because of this. At that moment, Peter realized that Jesus not only had rose from the dead, but was tracking him down, not to scold him, but to build relationships. In your failure, do you know that God wants to build relationship? He wants to forgive you. He wants you to move on. He doesn't want you to quit. And maybe like Peter, you've thought to yourself, Jesus will never take me back after what I've done or not done. Or Jesus doesn't care about me. He's been radio silent for so long. Or I'm not good enough. I go to City First, and I look at all these people that are raising their hands, they're worshiping, and they must feel Jesus all the time. And Jesus must be talking to them 24-7, but he doesn't do that to me. I'm not good enough. These are the mind games of Peter. It's the mind games of us today in 2022. And here's what I tell you. Just make it to breakfast. Just make it to breakfast. What do you mean by that? Well, this is what it means. For me personally, it's when I get up in the morning before I start my day. That's when I pray. That's when I meet Jesus. I, I read his word. Does he speak to me all the time? No. It's not like I sense it. I don't get a goosebump. Angels aren't singing. It's nothing like that. But you know what I do is I pray, and I meet Jesus in that quiet moment. And my, my instruction and my encouragement to you is whatever hell week you're going through, don't wish it was over. Don't put on a countdown clock and count down because it will make that hell twice as long and arduous. Do you understand that? But rather instead, just make it to breakfast the next morning where you can go, Jesus, just, it's just you and me. And I don't even know what's going on. And I'm encountering this diagnosis. I'm encountering this, this relational issue that's going on between me and my spouse. I'm encountering this, this situation at school, whatever it is. And you're like, I just need you to be with me. And he's with you. So you just, just make it to breakfast. Make it to the place where Jesus, a God who pursues you and loves you, is willing to give you nourishment. And I, I'm going to end with these verses that I want you to think about. They're in your app, so you can look at them later. I'm not going to expound on them because we don't have time, but in the morning, God does great things. Like in Lamentations, it says, 
The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. Listen, his mercies begin afresh every morning. You get no mercies every morning. Just make it to breakfast. Just make it to breakfast. Luke chapter one, because God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon you and give light to those who sit in darkness. You in darkness right now and in the shadow of death to guide us to the path of peace. Do you know that peace is there every single morning? Just make it to breakfast. Isaiah 44, I've swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. You know how mist disappears? Your offenses, your failures, your sins evaporate every single day when you're in the presence of God and you ask for forgiveness, they're gone. It says, oh, return unto me for I have paid the price to set you free. Freedom is yours every morning. Just make it to breakfast. Just make it to breakfast. Lastly, Romans 13, the night is about over. Some of you need to hear that. The night you've been in is about over. Do you hear that? Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. A new life is yours every morning. Just make it to breakfast. Just make it to breakfast. Don't quit. Don't allow the mind games of failure to make you go back to the old life. Don't, don't allow the shame and the disappointment or the confusion or the silence of heaven make you run back. Instead, just make it to breakfast. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if some of you are like today going, today and before God, I, I have wanted to quit. And I don't know what that means. Maybe it's been that you've wanted to quit something or maybe it's that you wanted to quit your faith. I don't know. But you have wanted to quit. You've seriously thought about quitting. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, today you say this, I, before God, I wanna raise my hand and he's gonna see me. He's gonna see my hand and I am committing. I'm not gonna quit. I'm just gonna make it to breakfast. It doesn't mean I'm gonna be perfect. So with, if you wanted to say, I commit to not quit, go ahead and just raise your hand and say, I commit to not quit. I commit to not quit. I just need to make it to breakfast. Jesus, give us strength. Those that raise their hands, give them strength to just be in the presence of Jesus, to just be in the presence of you. And there they'll find new mercy. They'll find strength. They'll find freedom. Oh, I know they're tempted to just wish the whole thing was over, but that's like the countdown clock. It takes twice as long then. Instead, God, we just want to meet you on the beach. The God that cooks us breakfast, that wants to build relationship. You're not angry. You're not going to strike us with lightning. In fact, instead of saying shame on us, you say shame off us. And today, Lord, we ask for your strength, your mercy, your forgiveness, and your grace. Lord, we commit not to quit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said.